Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. I love this series. I love the idea of risking it all for Jesus. Um, We've sort of come to a place in, in American Christianity that, that uh, we, we sort of buy into this easy believism idea, like God just, you know, it's all just going to be easy. And yet, when God calls us, He calls us to lay down our life completely and to risk it all, to live in reckless abandon for Jesus. And uh, so, as we're pressing into some of these characters, one of the things that, that I, I love is realizing that there are many, many uh, who are living out much of the faith that, that we hear about in Scripture. Uh, even within our own church family, there's great stories of faith, uh, many people that have, have taken bold steps of faith and trusting God and doing things. And so, uh, I'd love to know more of that. Our church would love to know more of that. If you're walking in relationship with Jesus and, and maybe taking small steps, maybe taking big steps, we would just love to know, uh, in addition to the stuff that we do know, right? We're, we're doing this together as a family. We're doing this together as a body. So, um, we would just love to know more of your story. Uh, reach out, contact us, let us know. Uh, maybe you're kind of in the process of developing a story right now and you're seeing God do some things. We'd love to know that and, and pray for you and kind of walk through that journey with you. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that uh, I hear a lot, uh, or at least maybe it's just me in my life, um, kind of where I drew this, the, the idea of this title, right? Um, yeah, that's just not going to happen. It just seems to be a, a, an ongoing phrase in our culture. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago area. I grew up under a, a dad who loved Jesus, and he loved the Chicago Cubs. And so, I learned to be a good loser from a very young age. And, uh, you know, all, all through the years, it's like, man, maybe this year the Cubs, you know, it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, until 2016, and then about another 108 years, we might do it again. So, um, but, you know, those are just some of, the, some of the things, you know, you're packing a truck, you're getting ready to move, you're going on a trip, and you're looking at all the stuff, and you're looking at the space you have, and you go, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Um, sometimes that's the way we live our Christian life. God is calling us to a, a life of risk, a, a life of abandon as we walk with Jesus, and, and yet sometimes just in our own creature comforts, we fall back into that idea, and yeah, that's just not going to happen. I love watching other people, and I love seeing others grow in their faith and hear great stories of what God is doing in their life, but when I think about my life, yeah, that's just not going to happen. I trust and pray this morning as we look at the life of Gideon that you will realize that God wants to do something in you and through you, and that that phrase may shift for you just a little bit. We're continuing in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have a Bible, turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm just going to pick up reading in verse 32 for just a moment. There's at least 17 characters, people that are listed in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and they were held out as sort of a, a, a standard of faith. This was the great cloud of witnesses that was coming alongside the, the readers of this letter uh, of Hebrews, these Jewish believers who've turned away from Judaism and followed the one true God, Jesus Christ. And, and so this writer threw these names out there, and they would have understood things very different. They would have looked, and they would have seen that name, and it would have triggered a lot of thoughts to them. 
But he says in verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell, right? So he's listed some and he's told a little about some of them. Abraham, he built on that a little bit in a couple of different ways. Uh, But then he says, hey, and, and there's so much more. Right? There's so much more. There's so much more we could say as we gather together, as we press into God's Word, as we hear stories of faith from one another. We could spend hours and, and days and weeks and months together just encouraging and challenging one another with the truth of what God is doing in our life. And, and he says, hey, that, that's exactly what's going on. There, there could be so much more. I could tell you so much more, for time would fail me to tell of, of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And so, with, without building on their stories, he just sort of throws it out there. In other words, there's, there's so many others. There's countless others. And then, then he sort of summarizes these great stories of faith. And I don't know about you, but when you think of great stories of faith, you always think of victories, right? Oh, it's just me. Victories, right? Great stories of faith always end in some great victory, right? Yeah, yeah that's not true. <clears throat> But those are the ones we like to talk about, right? We like to talk about David and Goliath because David slew Goliath. Uh, We look at the story of Gideon, and Gideon, we're going to see, conquered the Midianite army, estimated to be about 135,000 people. But that wasn't the end of the story. There's more to that. And so it's interesting because the, the writer of Hebrews, as he's writing this letter, as he goes on from this part, he, he really gives a summary of some of these stories, and, and when you look at it, there, there's two sides of it. There's triumph and there's tragedy in these great stories of faith. I've known people who've lived great lives of faith and their life was still tragic. And yet they walked faithfully with Jesus. Others, great stories of triumph and victory, and, and they walked faithfully with Jesus. So look what he says in verse 33. He says, um, you know, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Then he goes on and he mentions the outcome of these stories. He says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their, their dead by resurrection. Somebody say Amen. These are incredible stories of victory and triumph, but then he goes on and listen, listen what he says. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. Wow, paints a little different picture of the victorious Christian life, doesn't it? That's not the kind of Christian life we like to talk about. Martyrdom for the cause of Jesus Christ because they lived by faith. So what is he saying here? And so, I just want to pick at Gideon for just a moment as we look at a text this morning and just look at his life. What does Gideon represent? Uh, when you look at the, uh, the name Gideon, and he just sort of mentioned it kind of quick and, and, and passing, what would the Hebrew readers have remembered about the life of Gideon? Uh, what would it recall? What was the heritage that was passed down from generation to generation about this man named Gideon? 
What would they understand? What would they seek to apply from the life of Gideon because he was held up as this standard? And I think it's really quick to look at the incredible victory that, that Gideon had. But I think there's more to the story that I just want to pick apart this morning. And, and in order to do that, we need to back up into the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Judges, we're going to look in chapter 6 and then into chapter 7 a little bit. So if you do have a Bible, I trust you do. I'm going to ask you to just flip back to the Old Testament with me. Judges chapter 6, as we look at the life of Gideon, page 226 in my Bible. I don't know about yours, um, but as you're turning back, let me just summarize a little bit as you're looking for Judges chapter 6, because uh, to, to get a picture of Gideon's life of faith, we need to go back. We need to look at this. And, and so the theme of, of the book of Judges is really all about Israel. Israel had inherited, they had left Egypt, they left bondage, God delivered them into the promised land, and, and uh, they, they had this, this promise laid out there. They inherited this land, and, and yet they repeatedly disregarded their covenant relationship with God. And so what God would do is he would simply give them over, right? This book of Judges is about a period in Israel, Israel's history of, of them uh, rejecting God, refusing God, living in evil, and then God would rise up a, a, a civic or a military leader that would, would sort of deliver them and rule over them. Uh, the judges that, that are, uh, we see in Scripture are, are not trained arbiters of, of law the way we think of judges today. Uh, they're, they're really uh, more of a one that, that was raised up, empowered by the Spirit of God to, to bring about justice for the oppressed people of Israel. Uh, so they weren't like legal judges or arbiters as much as they were leaders, deliverers is often the word that's used. When, when it says that they judged, it was really that they led, they saved, they delivered Israel from their enemies. And so we have these ongoing stories, and, and it's really a, uh, an incredible period of, of human history, especially for the nation of Israel, as God would deliver them. When we look at the life of Gideon, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's more space in the book of Judges given to Gideon than any other judge. There's about 100 verses that are given to the life of Gideon, and, and we see more of his life, more of his struggles with his faith, more of his doubt, more of the questioning than any of the other judges. And so I think there's significance to that when we think about the readers in, in the book of Hebrews. And only Gideon, interestingly enough, is not called a judge throughout the book of Judges. It's said that he would save Israel, but it doesn't say he led them. It doesn't say he delivered them. It doesn't say that he judged them or served as a judge. And so, when we read through the book of Judges, if you have read through the book of Judges, you will see two consistent phrases that are used in the book of Judges. Uh, one, and we actually will see that as we begin being introduced to Gideon this morning, it says, and again, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's repeated numerous times. The other phrase that's used quite often is, uh, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, turning away from the truth of God's word, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And, and so those phrases introduce this cycle throughout the book of Judges, right? Evil, uh, apostasy. Apostasy is knowing the truth of God, rejecting the truth, and replacing it with your own opinion. That's exactly what the people of Israel were doing. It's exactly what we do today. 
We know God's truth, yet we reject the truth and we replace the truth with our own opinion. And so, uh, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's sort of the beginning of it. Uh, then, they, then they were conquered. They were oppressed for a, a season of time, years and years. And, and eventually, they would get to the place and see if this doesn't sound like our life, right? We reject God. We, we do evil in His sight. Uh, we're conquered. We're, we're oppressed. We're living in, in uh, separation from God. And so, eventually, we come to that place where the people cry out to God. Well, finally, we get to that place, and that's what you see the nation of Israel doing, doing evil, conquered, oppressed, finally crying out to God, God would raise up a judge, a leader, a deliverer who would deliver the people. They would love God. They would walk with God until the judge dies. And then it starts the whole cycle all over again. That's the book of Judges. And so here in Judges chapter 6, the beginning of that cycle is exactly where we see ourselves with the nation of Israel. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it simply says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Your translation may say, again, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord, because it's a repetitive process. And so, he gave them over. In other words, you want to go live on your own, I will allow you to go just, yeah, you do your thing. God desires intimate relationship with us, but He also allows us to walk away, and, and that's where they're at. And so, He delivered them, gave them over into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, in the caves, in the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp um, against them and devour the pro produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in the number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that, um, so that they laid waste uh, the land as they came in. And Israel brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. They were brought low. They were discouraged. They were down. They were running from God. They were hiding. Now, it's interesting because when we, when we look at this, when we look at the life of, of Gideon, and we're not going to take time to read and, and tear apart every single part of his story, but basically what we're going to see is that God now comes to Gideon. He, he finds Gideon where he is, and, and uh, he uh, extends a call to him. And, and in that process, then Gideon says, hey, um, okay, he finally kind of buys in and he says, now let me, give you, let, let me give you a meal. And so he goes and he makes meat and cakes and broth and he brings it out to the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, probably at this moment, a pre-incarnate Jesus. And he gives him this meal and sort of as an affirmation, he says, set it all down right there. Set down the meat, set, set, set down the cake and now pour the broth over it. And he simply reached out and touched it. The angel of the Lord reached out and touched it and was consumed in fire. Then Gideon was called now to go tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole that his father has, has erected. And in doing that, then he, he has this little bit of confidence realizing that God really is with him. And so then he goes on and, and it says that the Spirit of, of God came upon Gideon. Now he calls him to fight this Midianite army. 
But before he does that, Gideon says, well, I have a test. Now, I don't highly recommend this when God calls us to do something. We don't question him. We don't test him. But God was gracious, and he said, fine, go, go ahead and test me. And he says, well, I'm going to lay out a fleece. And, and, and if at first the, 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 the fleece is, 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 uh, has dew on it, then I'll know that it's truly from you. And so that's exactly what happened. And then he said, God, don't be angry with me, but let, let me give you one more test. Now let me put the, the, the little you know, hanky thing out, the, and, and, and if it's wet all around it, but the fleece is still dry, then, then I'll know that it's really from you. And God says, okay, go ahead and do that. And so he's testing God. There's this fear, there's this anxiety that we see in the life of Gideon that we don't see in any of the other judges. And so sure enough, the, the fleece is dry. And so now with a sense of confidence, he, he puts out a call uh, and he raises up an army to go against Midian. And, and God says, no, no, I, I don't need your army. I just need some willing. I need some. And so God reduces that. We'll see that in the, in the text. But he's still fearful. And so God says, I'm going I'm to be gracious to you because now I'm going to give you uh, a little more affirmation. Go down to the camp, and as he goes down with his servant, he overhears two of the Midianites in the camp. Uh, one's telling of a dream that he had of a barley cake. There's significance in the fact that it was a barley cake, the most common, the most simple. And one is saying, oh, that, that, that represents Gideon. That represents the sword of Gideon. And so there's this confidence that's reassured to Gideon. And so then he conquers the army and, and this great battle. Then he pursues some of the kings that were, were fleeing. And then he conquers the spoil. And then his life takes a dramatic turn from the conqueror to a compromiser. So I want to just look at this because I, at least in my head and at least in my mind as I'm looking at the book of Hebrews and I'm looking at these, these readers of the letter and I'm looking back at the life of Gideon, I'm thinking, what would it have been that these guys really would have understood? And I want to share three things with you that, that I look at, because throughout Hebrews, we hear that, hey, don't drift, don't, don't turn away, keep walking in fellowship with God. Um, you know, the, there had to be more than just this victorious battle. And so when I look at the life of Gideon, the first thing I want you to see is that God knows you. God knows you. Of all the stuff that was going on in the nation of Israel, in the people of Israel, it's interesting that God knew where to find Gideon. Have you ever had a moment in your life that you just feel like you're all alone and you feel like God has forgotten about you as, as if somehow God had to come and apologize to you because it's like, oh, wow, Dave, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't see that coming. That's where we find Gideon. Look with me. In Judges chapter 6, look at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord, angel being messenger of the Lord, came and he sat under the terebinth, which is a big oak uh, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midians. Now it's interesting because he's in a cave. I don't know if you've ever beat wheat, I don't know if you've ever threshed out wheat. The tradition is that they would have a threshing floor where they would beat out the wheat and the, and the breeze and the wind would blow away the chaff and just keep the wheat. We actually find out later in the chapter he has a threshing floor that he's not using. 
Matter of fact, that's where he lays out the fleece. It says he lays it out in verse 37. He lays out the fleece on the threshing floor. So why is Gideon up in the cave beating out wheat in a wine press? Because he's oppressed, he's discouraged, and he's running from God. Where are you this morning? Are you seeking the presence of God? Are you living life the way God called you? Or are you up hiding somewhere? Well, it doesn't matter where you are. I want you to know that God knows where you are. Because he goes, and, and I love this, verse 12, as, as, as the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, appears to Gideon, he's, he's beating out wheat in the wine press, which was typically square or round, more of a, an enclosed thing, not an open air where, where the chaff could blow. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Almost sarcastic, isn't it? <laughs> Your translation may say, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior, or mighty man of valor. It's almost sarcastic when when God says, hey, I see you up here hiding in the cave. I see you up here in fear. You're doing all this because you know soon, because it's harvest time, the Midianites are going to come and take everything that you've had. Everything you have, and you're living this oppressed. So he's up there, and he's doing this, and he's hiding it. Seven years of bondage at this point under the Midianites had brought Israel to its lowest level that they'd been in a long time. And instead of enjoying the blessings of God, they were hiding in the dens and the caves and the mountains and the strongholds. And the Israelites were not even allowed to harvest their own grain, which explains why we find Gideon hiding and beating out his wheat in a wine press. Now, it's interesting because God knows God knows. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I promise you that everyone in this room, we have stuff going on. And I want you to know this morning, if you walk away with nothing else, God knows you. He knows you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He is fully aware. You, you may think that you're hiding from God. Uh, you may think that, that you are a distant or somehow that God doesn't care, but I want you to know that God is fully aware of your circumstances and that he is he's fully aware and he knows your stuff. And he comes to you and I in our weakness, and what does he say? He says, you're a warrior. You, you are my child. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a white, mighty woman of valor. I have a plan and I have a purpose for you. I know you. I know your stuff. I want to bring healing to that. I want to bring grace to that. I want to bring my truth to you in the circumstances of life. He was so caught up, as all the Israelites were, so caught up in the circumstances of life that he missed the point of living in intimate fellowship and relationship with God. Is that where you are this morning? We get so caught up in, in this life and all the things that, that God never intended for us to be bogged down with, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves just drifting. That was, that's what was happening in the Hebrews' life. Don't drift. 
Don't, don't drift. Stay, stay with God. The Israelites had drifted. They had drifted to the point that they were remote. Exactly what the Hebrews said. Some of you have even started to neglect even meeting together. You know what that tells me? It means they're drifting. They're hiding in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. They don't want to be in the presence of God. They don't want to be in the presence of God's people. Why? Because they're not right with God. Gideon at this point in his life was not right with God because he wasn't walking in fellowship with God. You and I, some of us this morning, are not in right relationship with God, and, and we're living under the circumstances of life as if God doesn't care, and He does. So how do we know He cares? We come to Him. See, in this case, God came to Gideon. God will always come to you. He's always in hot pursuit of you, no matter where you go, no matter where you think you're hiding, no matter where you are, God knows you and he comes to you. I love it because you see it continually through scripture. Well, we saw it in the life of Moses. When, when Moses fled Egypt, where did he go? Anybody remember? It says he went to the backside of the desert and it was on the backside of the desert that God came to him. When he called Saul, where did he go? He didn't say, hey, Saul, come to the temple. He said, no. He went out on the road to Damascus and he met Saul. Well, when he met the Samaritan woman at the well, where did he go? He went to Samaria. He went to the well to encounter this woman. Listen, I don't care where you run thinking you're getting away from God. God's going to come meet you there. He knows where you are. He will come and he will meet you if you're willing to meet with him. He desires to restore you. He desires to, to use you in great and mighty ways. So it's interesting because uh, he's so caught in all this stuff and, and he's so downtrodden and he's so beaten up with life circumstances that Gideon's reply to God when he says, uh, you are a great and a mighty warrior, you're a mighty man of valor, Gideon's response is a series of questions. And maybe this sounds incredibly familiar to you as well. Look what he says in verse 13. One verse, tons of stuff. And Gideon said to him, please, just get this, please, my Lord, if, circle it, underline it, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? See, well, when you start questioning the integrity of God, you begin to run and hide. And when you begin to question the integrity and the character of God, this next phrase makes a lot of sense because this is exactly what you and I do. Look what he says. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. That is not true. God had not forsaken them. God was in covenant relationship with them. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord and God simply gave them over to their sin. You see, when we're not in right fellowship with God, we begin to blame God for everything that's going on in our life. When perhaps what God intends to happen is for your circumstances to bring you back into right relationship with God. God knows you. He knows your stuff. He knows what's going on, and he will use it in a way to bring you back into right relationship with God. But what is he doing? He's just asking questions. Hey, if the Lord, if, if the Lord is really with us, why? Why is all this stuff happening? Where, where are all of his wonderful deeds? God has forsaken us. No, no, he's not. So what did God do? I love this because God then met his questions with a series of promises. 
verses 12, 14, 16, 18, 23. Let me just give you some highlights really fast. Verse 12 of, of Judges chapter 6, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said to him, the Lord is with you. When you read through the, the story in Judges 6, 7, 8, you see an encounter of different names of, of God. He first approaches God as Elohim, his creator. Here, this, this word is Lord. Anytime you see the word Lord in your Bible, all caps, small caps, it's the name Jehovah God, the self-existent one. He also uses a name for God in here. He addresses him as master, uh, really sort of more of a, a title. But then Gideon actually comes back and uses the word Lord, and, and you'll see it in your Bible in, in small case. And it's actually the word Adonai. It means my Lord, my master, because now Gideon is drawing into a right relationship with God. But, but here, he, the Lord is saying, the Lord, Jehovah God is with you, O mighty man of valor. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. In other words, I, I got this. I'm asking you to do something, but I, I got you. I am sending you. I, it's sort of affirming that I, I'm going to be with you. I, I'm already going ahead of you. In verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. Verse 18, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring you out my presence. This is the meal that he, that he brings to the angel of God and, and set it before you. And he said, I will stay. Some of you just need to know this morning that God's promise is going to stay. It's going to stay with you. Gideon went to do a task, and he came back, and, and he said, you know, I want to go do this, but, but God, don't leave. He said, I'll stay. For every one of Gideon's questions, God brought a promise. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there, an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. The name Jehovah Shalom. God, my peace. He, he brought to Gideon in that moment the very thing that he needed most. Well, probably most of us need most when we live in fear, when we live under the circumstances and the consequences of our, of our sin and our very life, the thing that we, we need from God probably more than anything else is his peace. Just to know that he's, he's there with us. And he could have, could have used a lot of other names. But, but he didn't. He, he, he built this altar and he said, Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. God could have come to him with, with any other title. There's over 300 names attributed to God throughout Scripture. He, he could have come and said, I am the God who is there. I, I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. He could have come and just like David when he approached Goliath and he said, I come at you in the name of the, the God of the armies of heaven. And God could have come and said, hey, Gideon, let's go do this. I am the God of the armies of heaven. I've got all this. No, what, what Gideon needed was simply to know the presence of God. There was no power apart from the presence of God. Gideon didn't need to know that there was an army in heaven. What Gideon needed to know is that he had the presence of God. When we're looking for answers and everything else, what we need to do is turn back and realize that God knows us, and he gives us his very presence. 
that he's there in the midst of our hurt. He's there in the midst of our struggles. And with that, we can have peace. Gideon, just like you and I, he needed that peace of God in the moment. See, he knew where he was hiding, but he knew what he needed. He needed peace. So God knows you. God chose you. God chose you. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. Go in the strength that you have. Go, go be you. Dave, you be you. Let me be God. <laughs> Dave, you don't need to be God. You need to be you. You go in the strength that you have. You go as you are, trusting me because, because I'm with you. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to be there. I will be with you. So that's exactly what he did. Go in the strength that you have. And so when God calls you and I to step out by faith, he, he gives us only what we need so as to continue to rely on him. See, when we take a step of faith to begin to risk it all, we, 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 we risk it all by simply trusting God. We go in the strength that we have and we trust the strength that we don't have is Christ. And that's exactly what Gideon did. And so verse 25 simply begins with two words, that night. It's interesting because when God extends a call on your life, he acts on it quickly. There was no preparation. It wasn't like, hey, God, first let me go to Bible school. Hey, God, first let me sit in some Bible studies for a while. Let me learn a little bit more. No, what he knew is that he had the presence of God. And in peace, he stepped out by faith. And I love it because it says that very night, that very night, he said, now, now what I want you to do in this boldness, in this peace, I simply want you to go to your father's place and I want you to tear down his altar to Baal. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and tear down the Asherah pole that's, that's with it. And I want you to take the bull and I want you to t use it to tear this stuff down. Then I want you to build an altar there and call it Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. And I want you to sacrifice the bull on that altar and go ahead and use the Asherah pole that you tear down as the wood for the fire to, to sacrifice the bull in my honor, to my glory, to my purpose. So in boldness and confidence with, with great strength, Gideon snuck out at night with 10 servants and did just that. You ever have a step of faith like that? In bold courage and faith, I'm going to sneak out and I'm going to go do this. And hey, 10 guys, why don't you go with me? You know what's interesting? God used that small act of faith to begin to empower people. Because it was on the heels of that act that all the men in town got really mad and they came to Joash's house and they said, hey, who did this, who did this? And, and you know, word gets out. It's like, hey, it was Gideon, it was Gideon. And, and so then Gideon actually got a new name, Jeroboam. In other words, let, let Baal contend for himself. Because all of a sudden his father, who had this altar to Baal, began to take a stand. He said, hey, no, 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 no. why don't you let Baal contend for himself? And instead of being mad, he, he, all of a sudden there was a, a renewed courage. Gideon's faith and his confidence stepping out with the Lord Jesus Christ now all of a sudden began to empower others. Interesting how the small act of courage by faith in God begins to motivate others. That's why we're motivated by the stories of others. That's why I would love to know your story. Our church would love to know your story. Small acts of faith, small acts of obedience. What is God doing in your life? Why? Because it motivates others. Some of you this morning need to be motivated by the testimony of others. 
Because God's placed a call in your life. It may be a small act of obedience. It may be a huge act of obedience, but God's calling you to risk it all, and you need to be encouraged by the story of someone else. That's, that's what's happening right here. But you know what? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Gideon couldn't put this off. He had to do it, and he, he did. And so this small obedience then began to lead to bigger obedience, right? You take small steps of faith with Jesus, that leads to bigger steps of faith. That leads to bigger steps of faith. Pretty soon you're living the life that God intended for you to live because you're living boldly in confidence under the authority of Jesus Christ by faith. Judges chapter 6, verse 34, then after this, it says, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Uh, that word simply means that it came upon him, it empowered him, it strengthened him. There was a courage, there was a confidence that said, man, I, I, I took this step of obedience. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was like, yep, yep, you can walk in obedience. You can walk by faith. You can risk it all. And right after that, we, we have him throwing out this, this call, right, this rally to, to the army, uh, the people. It's like, hey, God is saying we, we, we need to take our, our nation back. God is saying we need to, to trust in him. And so this is where he does the fleece thing, and he throws the fleece stuff out and said, oh, God, but if you're really calling me to do this, right? So here's this, this still this questioning faith. This is the stuff we see in Gideon that we don't see in other judges. There's still these, these questions. Well, God, uh, let me just test you in this way with this fleece. And he does this now from, from verses 36 through 40 of chapter 6, uh, and, and it says that he puts the fleece on the threshing floor. So now Gideon had moved from the mountains down back into the camp, and now he's, he's throwing this fleece down on the threshing floor where he should have been anyway. So now he's returned to where he should be. And so he put out a call and he rallied an army of 32,000. Listen, his small act of faith and obedience in Jesus Christ motivated others to the point that 32,000 men joined his army. Overnight, word spread. But I love this because now we move into Judges chapter 7 and God is basically saying, you know what? It's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about your military might. And so Judges chapter 7 verse 2 simply says, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has served me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Everybody's motivated. Everybody's excited. Hey, church has a new program. Well, we're going to go do this stuff. But then God says, no, I just need a remnant. I need a remnant. A lot of them were motivated because it's like, hey, something's going on. I want to go be part of it. They weren't there trusting God, but, but God said, look, 32,000 is too many. Chapter 8, we get the idea that this Midianite army is about 135,000. 32,000 doesn't seem too overwhelming <laughs> to go against 135, but God says, no, too, it's too much. Lest you take credit yourself and think that somehow you did this. Now, this is in accordance with Old Testament law, Deuteronomy chapter 20. 
there's clear instruction that if a man is called to war, but he's in fear, then he shouldn't go. It's interesting, isn't it? Fear, lack of faith is contagious. There's a reason that churches struggle. There's a reason that congregations die over a season because there's a lack of trust in God. There's a fear, and that fear becomes contagious. We're more concerned with our, our projects. We're more concerned with our budgets. We're more concerned with how, how do we sort of maintain the status quo when God says, no, no, I just want you to do what I've called you to do and step out by faith because fear then becomes contagious. So 32,000 gathered with, with Gideon, 22,000 walked away. Do the math. He's left with 10,000. But I love what God says. Look what he says. <clears throat> Verse 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Really? I'm sure Gideon's going, really, God? Really? God says, take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And basically, he says, yeah, go ahead and take them down. And, and he takes them down to the water. And, and as a military strategist, it's cool because uh, our military still looks at a lot of this stuff. Is like, that, that just makes sense. God says, if any of the men lap like a dog, you know, two hands and, and lapping like a dish, or if they get down on, on their hands and knees and drink like a dog, they're not worthy. But those warriors who go to the edge of the water and get down on one knee, ready still for battle, ready with a sword, one hand, cupping the drink, eyes up, I know what's going on. He said, those are the men I'm going to keep. How many was that? 300. So God said, with the 300, I will deliver Midian. I don't know, my math isn't great. That's somewhere around 450 to 1. These some bad dudes. If they were trusting in bad dudeness, right? Instead of trusting God. So with the 300, he then delivers. But again, it's like there's still this fear. Verse 7 of Judges 7, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who left, I will save you and I will give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go. So now Gideon is left with his 300. So God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. God chose you for a purpose, but God then grows you. Verse 9, here we have that same phrase again, that same night. When God calls you to a task, he's looking for obedience. He's not, he's not saying, hey, Gideon, do you have all your answers? Because at this point, I am sure that Gideon had more questions than answers. But he said, that same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have past tense verbiage. The, the verb of this is, is it's a completed, it's past tense, I have given. I have given. On the night of the battle, God saw that there was still a fear in Gideon. The Hebrews would have understood this. There was still a fear. There was still a caution. And God, in his graciousness, obliged Gideon yet one more time. Because he said, basically, Gideon, if you are still afraid, if you are still fearful, which I know that you are, even though you've, I've given you my peace, even though I have, have shown you my power and my authority, yet I know that you are still fearful. So take your servant and go down to the edge of the camp 
and I'm going to give you a sign. And so he goes down, and he simply overhears a conversation with two men in the Midianite camp. And this one's telling this other one about his dream, about this, this barley cake loaf that rolls into camp, and it strikes the tent and destroys the camp. And the guy's like, that barley cake is Gideon. It's the sword of Gideon. And so, so he's saying, we're already defeated, and Gideon is hearing this. And this is the sign from the Lord that, that I got you. Be at peace. I have you. I know you. I chose you. I'm going to grow you in faith to serve me, to love me, to walk with me. And so we know from the story that, that sure enough, Gideon's army defeats the army of Midian. But it was his faith. God had given them these, these signs, right? The, the fire from the rock, the wet fleece, the dry fleece. And, and after all the divine help, Gideon should have been strong in his faith, but, but that was not the case. He needed this one more sign, and, and God gave that to him. But at some point, he had to act on the faith that he said he had in Christ. Some of us this morning need to act on the faith that we say that we have in Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher one time talk about faith. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everybody should have one and use it regularly, but it isn't safe to use somebody else's. That makes a lot of sense, right? We love hanging around at church and we love being around other people of faith, but you can't live off other people's faith. You have to live a faith that belongs to you. Gideon was acting by faith. It was difficult. It was hard. We can follow great men of faith. We can follow great women of faith. We can be encouraged. We can be motiva motivated by them, and we should. That's what it means to live in biblical community, but we can't live off someone else's faith. That faith has to be ours. And in, the, in those difficult moments, that's where God is growing that faith. We're stepping out by faith. We're trusting Him in fear. We trust by faith. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon very wisely once said, he said, the promises of God shine brightest in the furnace of affliction. And it is claiming these promises that we gain the victory. By faith, we are trusting in God through the difficult moments. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you're hiding from God. I don't know what's going on in your life but I want you to know that God knows exactly where you are. And as a child of God, he chose you. You are here today, not by accident, but because God brought you to a place, whether you're in the building, whether you're online, God brought you to a place and he wants you to know that he knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He chose you to hear the truth of his word so that you can act by faith and he can grow you to be the person, the man, the woman that he created you to be. I would love to say that Gideon's life finished up and it was, it was an incredible uh, moment of victory and the nation of Israel turned around and experienced revival and trusted in God, but that is not the case. For about another 40 years, they walked with God. Gideon died. His family was a wreck. It was totally destroyed. One of his sons was killing everybody else and, and the nation turned back to its evil way because Gideon got in the way. He pursued the kings of Midian, and, and he ended up taking about 70 pounds of gold. And, and after destroying the, the altar of Baal, he built for himself an idol. What 
What were the people of Hebrews thinking? Were they just thinking about the great, great military joy that, that Gideon experienced? Or were they thinking about his fear? Were they thinking about him hiding in the cave? Were, were they thinking about the end of his life that was absolutely destroyed because he didn't continue to walk with God? That was the challenge in Hebrews. Don't drift. Let your life count. It actually said in, in chapter 10 in Hebrews, right? Don't throw your life away. Don't let your life be destroyed. Walk with God. Persevere severe, preserve your life in God. I think that's part of what the, the readers of Hebrews were hearing. I have a choice to continue to walk with God, or I have a choice to turn my back on God and throw away everything that I've experienced with God and, and let my life be destroyed. No legacy, no spiritual legacy, no revival, no, no influence of other people. I mean, it's awesome to have those high moments with God, but, but God is calling us to a life of consistency, to walk by faith, moment by moment, day by day. The very thing that God was concerned about with Gideon is the very thing that happened to Gideon. Somehow he thought it was more about him and his military prowess and his great ability because the people said, oh, hey, Gideon, be our king, be our king. In a very pious way, Gideon said, no, 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 I don't want to be your king. God will be our king. And yet his pride destroyed him. I don't know what God's speaking in your ear this morning, but he's calling you to live a life of faith. He knows where you are. He chose you for his honor and glory. He wants to grow you to be the man, to be the woman that he called you to be. Are you willing to surrender to him? Let's pray together. Father, in this place, we trust you. You are a great and a mighty God. God, in all things, we want our life to bring you honor and glory. God, we want to be a people that risk it all and abandon, God, to, to walk by faith, that everything we do in our life, God, would bring you glory, that Christ would be magnified because of our life of obedience. God, sometimes small steps of obedience, sometimes big steps of obedience, but God, in all ways, obedience as we risk it all to walk by faith with you. God, we love you and we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.